Worf sucks at building ship models in the dark. Captain Riker has never lost. And Braktor is the leader of the Ferengi attack vessel Krikta. Hello, everybody, and welcome to The Seventh Rule with Sirach Lofton. Hello, hello. My name is Ryan T. Husk, and today we're doing a review of Star Trek The Next Generation, Season 2, Episode 21, Peak Performance, written by David Kemper, directed by Robert Shearer. This was July 8th, 1989. We have a very special thanks to give out to Joel E. Blacker. Thank you very much, Joel, for sponsoring today's incredible episode. How are you today, Sirach? Thanks, Joel. I'm good. I'm doing good. Peak performance. Okay. Yeah, there's there, there's a lot to, I think, frame this episode with. And number one is July 8th. Sounds very late in the game. Uh, that has to be because of the delays from the uh, early season uh, strike. You know, the strike was gone from the end of season one to the beginning of season two. And so season two started really late, like maybe November or something like that. Because right now they're in episode 21 and they're in July. Do you remember the last time, the, the latest you guys shot on Deep Space Nine, like into the year? Mm. I, I remember by summertime, we were always kind of like taking our hiatus around summertime. Oh. But I can't tell you if that was like june was probably the last of it and then by july august we're already gone and i think it was a three month deal yeah it always felt like the seasons ended in late may or early to mid june you know like that was kind of the window and that the seasons would start basically uh first or second week middle of september which means you september. guys were probably shooting at the beginning of september or very late august it's what it seems like. Yeah. Yeah, that's about right. And honestly, you want to not be working on those hot summer days because those those July, August days in makeup on those backstages is ridiculous. It's super hot. You're melting in there. I don't care even with a with the AC because you still have to get in and out from your you know, from the wardrobe or the set or the trailers somewhere, you got to transport. Well, then I think that explains why this guy's face looks like he's melting. The Zach Dorn wasn't supposed to have those lips on his cheek. That's just melted uh, makeup because they're shooting in June and early July. This poor guy. That's what it is. Uh, also, everybody... If you're yeah. watching, please be aware that you can find this podcast wherever podcasts are found. That's the seventh rule, wherever podcasts are found. Please subscribe to those. If you're listening in, check us out on YouTube and subscribe to the channel and like this video. We really appreciate that. Also, uh, hey, we got a Patreon. Go to patreon.com slash the seventh rule. You can get all kinds of crazy perks. It's insane. You can go to lunch with Ciroc. You can, uh, no, that, that doesn't happen. <laughs> you can do all you kinds of things. You can still go stuff. to lunch with me. Who knows? Yeah. <laughs> it could happen. Anyway. It could happen. So back to this but episode. No, uh, it, I couldn't help but think of a little bit of a correlation when you said coming out of the strike and then filming into July, because we are now coming out of the strike, uh, it being 
what November, so I think around the same time period we're talking about, and I and I have heard rumblings about certain productions trying to start up quickly to kind of catch up and make up ground. Yeah, that's going to be tough. They got to squeeze it in before the holidays, but some of them some of them are ready to shoot like they were just about to shoot, so they probably just need a few days to ramp back up. I would think. Right. Yeah. But- so so uh, so we may be seeing that same kind of anomaly as far as productions late into the summer or um, just uh, awkward filming times, you know, maybe some productions may film through the holidays. I don't know. So it, it could be the case where we see um, film dates that we normally wouldn't be seeing um, based upon obviously the results of this strike. You know, that's a good point. And uh, I just checked season two of Next Generation. First episode started November 21st, or it premiered November 21st, which means shooting started probably two weeks before that or something like that. Uh, maybe three weeks. I don't know. But that's really late in the game. That's at least two months later. And so that's why the last episode, the 22nd episode, which is our next one, is July 15th. Which is very late. Okay, so <clears throat> this is um, uh, 22 episodes. Even they, they didn't do 26 yet. Exactly. A- again, because of that strike. So they started late and they also shortened it. Because otherwise, the last episode would have aired in mid-August. Which is pretty much when you need to start up again. Uh, okay. It would have aired maybe like August 12th. So we get four less episodes this season because of the strike. Is that what happened? Yes. I believe that is why it was shortened and delayed was because of that strike. Um, but I bet, I just bet we'll find out more information on that in a couple weeks. Uh, big announcement on that coming up, everybody. But uh, in a couple weeks, we will have more information on all that in a very special retrospective type of episode that you're going to want to tell all your kids about so this particular episode has the zach dorn did you know that at the most recent star trek las vegas um creation entertainment star trek las vegas there was somebody that was cosplaying this character and it was this actor's son cosplaying his dad And he looked perfect. And everybody was like, how does that guy look so perfect? It's because it's his freaking son. Uh, I don't remember the the guy's name, but yeah, it's this actor's son. And uh, that was just the most recent one. Really brilliant cosplay of the year, in my opinion, because this is kind of an iconic character that only appears once. And I don't. I feel like Lower Decks may have had another Zach Dorn later. Uh, is that the is the Zach Dorn? That's his character's name, or that's the alien type? The alien type is a Zach Dorn. The character was Sirna Kolrami. Sirna Kolrami, not a very memorable name. Zach Dorn, I can remember. And the actor Sir, that played Sirna it, Sirna Kolrami. That, that that's a yogi a yogi name, right there. Yeah. It's like, I'm going to go uh, the, and take some yoga classes with my yogi master, Sirna Kolrami. He'll teach you a couple things. He'll get that flexibility. <laughs> You'll have that hanging lotus in no problem, uh, in no time. Roy Brocksmith is the actor's name. Roy Brocksmith. 
Oh, did you notice, notice another special guest actor in this episode? Oh yeah, I couldn't I couldn't help but notice the uh, another appearance of Armin Shimmerman, if I'm not mistaken, right? Playing the Ferengi. Mm-hmm. He's 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 unmistakable. He's so uh, his presence is there, and he's actually dialed in closer to what we end up seeing the Ferengi look like over a long period. This is the episode where I felt like, oh, that's a Ferengi right there. <laughs> yeah. he already he already evolved the Ferengi by evolving yes. his uh portrayal of it mm-hmm. um yeah I, I thought the same thing as soon as he came on my thought was will he be the season one Ferengi or the deep space nine Ferengi and he wasn't quite the deep space nine Ferengi but you could see he was already two-thirds of the way there you know what I mean like he was he was the 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 season one Ferengi were basically unrecognizable uh but the way he was acting in this one, yes, we get it. I mean, I yeah, big time. There was um, there was a toughness there. There was a seriousness. I thought the first Ferengi was a little bit too jokey and too uh, comical in their behavior. Like the you know, it looked like they were overacting that particular role. And in this particular case, it, it was more direct. It seemed like they were good adversaries for Picard because I like the way. Uh, Armin kind of challenged Picard and called him, you know, your answers will dictate our response. The, the way he was talking to him was uh, with authority and not in a jokey way. There wasn't any kind of jokingness that I got. Actually, the, the other Ferengi had a little tinge of yeah. tinge of comedy to his performance more so than uh, Armin did. Yeah, they weren't. They were too sniveling and they were too sulky you know and and armin brought some respect to that role to that alien and made them less silly and more you know intimidating you know at least closer to being intimidating because we're supposed to take these guys seriously as an actual threat and we can't take them as a threat if they're making us giggle um yeah and that's huge respect to armin because i'm sure he thought I want to redeem my performance in that previous one. I don't know if he fought with the director and the director said, no, no, you got to do the, you know, you got to do the weird dog paddle thing that you were doing in the first few episodes. And Armin was like, sir, I will not. <laughs> I'm going to, I will bring respect to the Ferengi race. And, and it was, it really showed, you know, and it's, it's not often that an actor can look back on a role with regret but get a second chance to kind of right that wrong. And he he got an even bigger second chance throughout Deep Space Nine. It became a hugely loved uh, and iconic character because of it. So a very rare opportunity for Armin. And he really, really uh, took that opportunity and ran with it. He did. He did. And it also reminded me kind of when I reflected on my own experience on the show and and on my show and I, I thought I thought to myself that people like Armin, uh, uh, Jeffrey Combs, um, they have had the advantage of working on this show before and really having um, an intimate knowledge of the of what to expect 
when you come to this, you know, Star Trek set. Mm-hmm. And um, I thought about those of us that did not have that advantage, you know, that were just freshly standing there and kind of having to learn what the culture was like on the fly, as opposed to people like Michael Dorn, people like uh, Paul Amini, yep. um, you know, obviously Arvin Shimmerman, uh, Bon Armstrong, this... uh, Mark yes. Alimo. Yeah. That culture yes. is the perfect word for it. Yeah. Yeah. So they already are walking into a situation. They know the, uh, the pace, they know the, uh, the ambiance and the mood that is set in this kind of environment. And there's certain things that you pick up that there's nothing you can, that can prepare you except for actually being on a set and seeing this, spaceship right or this you know that is different than whatever you can deliver in an audition um when you actually step into a culture of oh this is an entire world that's been created um with existing aliens and uh existing treaties and beefs and all of this kinds of uh poise and how you carry yourself all of this tradition um and so i I credit Armin for doing a fantastic enough job, as well as with, you know, Colin and Michael Dorn, that it was some something that they wanted to bring back and see more yep. of. And um, that was that was one thing that kind of resonated with me when I saw Armin in this episode. I said, oh, this is what they saw when they saw Let's Bring Quark's character. It was based on this version of the Ferengi that he portrayed. It wasn't the first one, even though the first one got him uh, a call back, right? Uh, got him back the second time again, right? But right. It, it even in this, it was the second time that got him more than a call back, in my opinion, right? The first one got him the call back. This, this one we just saw got him a series regular role on the spinoff show. That's what I Totally. And speaking of treaties, my favorite is Rice Krispie treaties. And I do think <laughs> that this is what got, you know, Armin, you know, two feet into the door for Deep Space Nine, right? I mean, I could be wrong, but it seems like, sure, he still had to audition. But he probably had to audition from a very small list and was already bumped to that top of that list. We also know famously that Max Grudenchik was at the top of that list. And he and Armin were basically the, the final two to play Quark um, because Max Grudenchik does play a Ferengi in the next generation beforehand. So both of them had played Ferengi uh, out of the, the handfuls of actors that did it. Those were the two that maybe they felt did it the best. And uh, the rest is history, but they certainly earned it, you know. There's definitely a hierarchy and a meritocracy uh, going on there where these guys showed off their acting chops. And thank goodness, you know, Armin got that second chance because he got that second chance and really did well with it. And he also yeah. got that face for that second, that gift, Betazoid gift box in that one thing. But... Yeah, but this is definitely what got him. And he mentioned this before when we talked to him about Quark and the role he played. He talked about the choice that he made to play it for drama where he felt Max played it for comedy and 
that's that was essentially the difference, right? Playing it for drama or comedy. I think Bork, even though he comes across as very comical, is trying to be very serious. And I think that's what makes it work. Whereas Rom and Max is, is trying to be, oh, well, brother, you know, it's more of a comical portrayal. And it's funny, but it's serious. It's crazy. They actually accomplish the opposite effect with the way they go. So Max's comical way actually brings out a lot of serious notes when you think about what he says and the points, the points that he makes. And Quark's serious way where he's like, I'm trying to be serious, makes you laugh because you're like, you're serious about that. So it's, it's really um, uh, an interesting dynamic. That's a really interesting point. Uh, Quark is a dramatic character in a comedic role. And Max or Rom is a comedic character in a dramatic role a lot of times. That's, yes. that's a good yes. point. I hadn't thought of that. That's really fun. It's really cool. Yes. A lot of fun. And, you know, another thing that was a lot of fun to me in this episode, and I, and I want to give um, credit because I did start off with a little bit of resistance towards Dr. Pulaski in the beginning of this season and I'm going to uh, soften my stance on her. She's, she's really grown on me. Um, I, I'm always skeptical when they just try to throw new people on and then they race other people and I'm like, what, what's going on here? You know, where's, where's the consistency? <laughs> so uh, so, you know, and uh, obviously with Crusher uh, being Wesley's mom, that, that all of those things kind of meant a lot to me, too. Right. So I took a kind of resistance stance against Dr. Pulaski, uh, like, I'm not going to like you because you're you're not supposed to be here. Where, where's my people that I like? Um, but she's won me over over the course of this season. And I really say that. Um, she has grown on me by one kind of endearing herself to people like data who I felt like she mm -hmm. was really, uh, anti, you know, just against the, against data and, um, really be giving him a hard time and very judgmental of him to being really having a closeness and a, a relationship with him to the point where she kind of like, can coerce him to do something he normally wouldn't do, right? Because she's like begging him in that one scene. I really love that, that please that she gives him where she mounts, please, like, please, you know, play this guy in this game because he's such an asshole. He's pissing me off. I want you to beat him. Um, so I love that about her. And I think she's grown on me in so many ways, including how she interacts with Picard in this episode. I think that she shows she proves to be a good um, uh, somebody who's a match for Picard. Mm -hmm. he's, a, he's a lot to handle and he's so authoritative, but she really kind of holds her ground against him and sometimes even one-ups him. And I think that yeah. shows she's kind of like a counterbalance in a way, you know, like where, or a counterweight, whereas everybody is his subordinate. The doctor is the one that's not a subordinate necessarily. They're the only ones that can uh, give the captain an order if help is in question. Now, of course, she's also an older officer. She's been there, done that. So she also acts the part. 
So where some of the characters might be like, oh, that's the boss. I got to cower in fear or whatever. You know, she's just kind of like, whatever. You know, if I got a problem with him, I'll just go to another ship. I don't care. I've been there. Uh, but it is funny how I, I didn't even make that connection that, yeah, that's funny that she's the one that gets data to play the game where she was the one that was the most prejudiced towards him being an android. And now she's kind of enjoying that aspect about him and almost like almost toying with him. Like, let's see how good this android is. Let me, I don't like this guy. Maybe I could get the android to, to <laughs> humble him up a little bit. You know, it's, 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 it's yeah. playful. It's playful. And it was, it's endearing. Um, I feel like they could have had better use of Troy personally. I think that Troy could have been used more as an advisor, more so to Picard in this battle game, this war game. She's, she helps Riker, but she doesn't help or And, you know, and she, but she doesn't help Picard and she's on Picard's team or does she? I don't think she did. I mean, the, she's kind of a yeah, I didn't see. She's kind of a no, round, I didn't see her. but it would be nice if she, well, I guess she did. That's what it was, was when Data was saying, but if Riker knows that we know that he knows that we know and all that, that <laughs> yeah, was very yeah. fun and very yeah. cute. But like, and she did help there. That's where it was, where she was like, look, I think we just need to stop Over, being so Stop crazy. overthinking it. Yeah. Yeah. But um, she could have been used more in that regard and less in the the stratagemma, stratagemma game stuff, because that was kind of a B plot. But anyway, that's just my own personal feelings on that. What do you think of the game? Um, yeah, <laughs> I, I would have liked to know more details about what the game was. What are they trying to accomplish in this in this game? You know, are you, you know, I have to do build some kind of thing, and you have to go through it or whatever. You know, normally games have some type of rule, and uh, they didn't even really discuss what those rules were. Or kind of giving an imaginative idea, like you know, chess, for example. Ha even though they have the four D chess or whatever yeah. that is, you kind of have an idea of how pieces are supposed to move on a chessboard. When I was watching this, I, I understood it to be some kind of like video game type of thing, right? But I couldn't tell uh, what the objective of the game is. Or they, they showed a bunch of squares moving around and some were like, I, I couldn't tell what that was. And I would have liked a little bit more explanation if maybe it was like a, a an algorithm of some kind of, you know, solving equation some kind of bitcoin algorithm of zeros and ones <laughs> and some shit you know something like that but it, they didn't give us anything they didn't even tease us with some kind of something you know it was just a really cool kind of hand thing design um and it felt like the like a, it felt like a video game it was very clever it was very creative in that you know they got to come up with new ways to portray a game you know they didn't want it to be a board game they didn't want it to be this they didn't want it to be that and so i thought that was very creative i didn't watch the game play as much as i was like really staring intently and and nitpicking their finger movements i was like i, I kept catching myself thinking like if i was doing the role i would make sure to have more finger you know because 
they would keep their fingers together and I'm like nitpicking it. I'm like, it's so obvious that they're just going like this. That's not that big of a deal. They should be doing, you know, they should be doing all kinds of crazy, you know, whatever. And so I missed all that stuff because I was too busy nitpicking, but we, we're about to go to our break, but we're in luck that I actually do know uh, the rules, the gameplay and the point. I looked it up, uh, researched it. It's very wow. interesting. We'll uh, talk about that on the other side. So you do not oh. want to miss this other half. We'll be right back on the seventh rule. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to the seventh rule. Mr. Rock freaking Lofton. Hello. Uh, here are the trivioids of the week. Let's pull these guys up. There are, were a lot. They go a little yeah. something like this. The Enterprise is diverted to the Braslatas. The Enterprise is diverted to the Braslota system. That's what it was. It reminded <laughs> me of Bratislava, which I think is like the capital of Slovakia, maybe. It's definitely the capital of one of those Eastern Europe. Anyway, Sirna Kolrami requires little rest. Zach Dorns have the greatest innately strategic mind in the galaxy. Commander Riker will captain the USS Hathaway. Sirna Kolrami is a third level grandmaster at the game of Stratagema. Worf sucks at building ship models in the dark. You notice that? Like he was having problems, but it was like it was way dark in there. Like that's your problem. Worf wagers heavily in the ship's pool that Riker will take Sirna Kolrami past the sixth plateau. The Zakdornian's word, the Zakdorn's word for mismatch is challenge. Commander Riker is simply the finest officer with whom Picard has ever served. Commander Riker calculated a sensory blind spot on a Tholian vessel and hid within it during a battle simulation. Riker's solution in a crisis was to shut down power and hang over planet's magnetic poles. I got a nitpick there. And Captain Riker is never lost. Bracter is the leader of the Ferengi attack vessel, Creek Top. Okay. That's too many. Too many. Um, yeah, actually, I was, I was thinking that too when I was hearing uh for cards opening in this episode it felt like a mouthful of words of the brasal braslata and the zakdor and strategist sir nicole larami and all. i was like dude this is like is there going to be a test after this because this is <laughs> I, I hope not <laughs> uh so it says uh commander Riker's solution in, in a crisis was to shut down power and hang over a planet's magnetic poles how could he hang over to more than one pole at a time? Oh, uh, how could he hang over a planet's yeah. magnetic poles? Uh, am I wrong? There's um, there are two poles, and you can only hang over one or the other. Um, well, yeah, I, but I guess they're saying if it's like this, if it's like a line, and you're just floating on top of it then you would be on top of both of them if they were both, I guess, underneath you. But I understand what you're saying. I guess that's... So like, so yeah, like a direct line, like there's one pole, there's another pole, and then he's up there. Yeah. I think that was just, I think they just said poles and it should have been pole, but... That's a decent explanation. I'll, I'll, we'll accept that. We'll, <laughs> we'll take it. That, that's called the pole dance maneuver, by the way. 
Is that what it is? I didn't. <laughs> no, no, because they had maneuvers for everything. I was like, how many maneuvers are there? Used to, I'm like, seriously, um, is this really, is this really how it works? Like, do people really have like 7,000 different maneuvers that they use in battlefield situations? And they say, all right, let's do the Kuzma maneuver. Now <laughs> the Kyle Kuzma maneuver. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Like, yeah, and do they really I, have time to say all those things? Like, that's what I'm saying. Are we getting into formation? And what if somebody forgets, like some like one guy out of the chain of operators, right? They're like, what, what's the tilapian maneuver again? Mm, that's you a know, delicious like, one. <laughs> exactly. Well, I'm glad we changed so, the subject off the polls because that's the most polls we've talked about since our old <laughs> associate producer, Radek Orszewski, who lived in... Northwest Poland, everybody knows. Oh yeah, erotic, yeah. Miss him. Um I liked when you know, going back a little bit to uh Dr. Pulaski, there was a line that um first of all, when she says he needs an attitude adjustment, and she's referring to Zach Dorn, uh the Zach Dorn guy, I thought that was great. But she says something to um Picard. Picard says Oh boy, I have to hand hold an android. And uh she says the burdens of command. <laughs> <laughs> and the way she said it, I thought was just it was great because she's like, Oh, poor captain. Yeah, life go. is so tough. It's so, so so tough. You gotta go hold hands of an android. Oh. Okay. I can't be the only one here. Maybe I am, but I can't be the only one. When Wes and Jordy were first starting to work on the Hathaway and Wes goes, Jordy, I have to return to the Enterprise. And Jordy's like, now? And he goes, this is important. And he's like, and this isn't? I swear, I thought Wes was going to be like, I got to go to the bathroom. The place doesn't have working, like just the urgency <laughs> and the way he like stiffened up. He's like, Jordy, I got I gotta go. He's like now. He's like it's it's important. I gotta. I'll be number back one in or like number two. Eleven minutes. Yeah. Don't, <laughs> don't don't nobody go in the bathroom. Another 35, 45 minutes. Is it warp one or when, warp two? It's yeah, warp two. Warp one or warp two. <laughs> Yikes. Uh, yeah. Um, you know, this episode was fun. It kind of had a good page to it. It felt like it had a bigger budget for it like um with that extra ship that they built you know like i did feel like i was on a lot of different locations as far as sets um there were different areas and corners nooks and crannies panels being opening off the thing yeah. and different bridges here and there what i would have liked to see more of is i would have liked to see more of the the back and forth between picard and Riker. They gave it to me a little bit later in the scene, I think about 34 or 5 minutes to go. That's when it started to kick into the versus mode, right? And they really really were going at it. I would have liked to see more of that maneuvering and kind of, you know, chess play that they were playing in between each other. I would have liked to see that start out earlier in the episode. Yeah. Or watch them go through more problems, have the, the crisis manage in different situations. Um, that would have been great for me because I did enjoy the kind of back and the 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 mono mono versus them. Yeah, and that that part only lasted a minute, 
and then the Ferengi come out of nowhere with impeccable timing somehow. Uh, but check this out. Yeah. That USS Hathaway that you mentioned, uh, I really liked it. Here's what it looked like. It has four nacelles, which is really cool. And it's just got this really cool, fun design. And it's all like old and dusty. I guess that's probably not dust. It's probably like char from getting blasted. But it looks really cool. That was a creative looking ship. Anyway, yeah, yeah I would have I would have liked to see more of the cat and mouse game between Riker, just because they built it up, you know, and they kept saying, yeah. I mean, but I guess they had those moments in the battle with the Ferengi. And I, I also thought that at some point somebody should have given uh should have given credit to Worf and Wesley and Jordy. Picard kept saying, I told you Riker was great. I'm like, Riker didn't come up with that. That was Wesley, bro. Or when they say, how did he get warp drive up so quick? And he says, I told you Riker's the best. I'm like, Riker, all he all Riker did was say, Great job, everybody. I mean, like he did good stuff, but he's he yeah. didn't get warp drive up. That was that was Jordy. So I just thought that was funny that Picard just kept saying, Yep, that's my guy Riker that did all those things. What about painted the outside? <laughs> yeah, that was Riker too. He did everything. <laughs> um, well, that's how captains think. You know, they want to take credit for everything. So uh, I did. That didn't surprise me as much as you know. Picard sticking up for Riker was was good in this episode. I like the way he stuck up for him. And the thing that he mentions, he's just he's talking about Riker, and he says Riker creates loyalty with joviality and that is kind of a good expression of Riker. Riker is a jovial kind of like there was a moment when Wesley says um, oh I have this thing and he's like Wes you, you you stole that from the ship right you you cheated or something to that effect and he's like oh actually I just uh, you know I improvised you told me to improvise or something yeah right? he said something like that he said you told me to be yeah. creative or whatever it was yeah yeah so and then he smiles and gives him the the joviality of acceptance and like no don't worry buddy I, I know what you did I know you broke the rules but it's okay and I'm good with it and uh, let's carry on and that is the Riker way he is that kind of like he, he looks like he's reprimanding you but he's actually like don't worry buddy I got <laughs> he gives you the weight <laughs> <laughs> yeah <laughs> so, so that's that's his leadership style, and it, it it does work well because it was the same kind of excitement that he got um, Jordy excited about the, the idea. He got Worf excited about that, and another Amen. thing he did, which was great, was I thought it was a very subtle moment, but it was good. It was when Worf was uh, he tells Worf, "I want you to sit in the chair and be my number one," and Worf says, "Well, Jordy, you know, outranks me." And, you know, technically he should be. And I like the way Riker in that moment says, no, I already spoke to him about it. We're good. You know, that's another leadership kind of uh, skill set. It's not like, you know, he didn't he didn't belittle Jordy in that moment. So, oh, Jordy, what does Jordy know anything about this? You know, he, he actually took the, pre the precaution in the, in the beginning. He already spoke with Jordy about it. He already said, I wanted Worf to be in the helm here at my number one. 
I need you to fix the ship and I'm going to, and you and Wesley. So that's all delegating and um, leadership skills as far as, you know, saying everybody being on the same page and nobody's feelings being hurt about the way things are going to have to unfold. I thought that's, that shows Riker's leadership skills to me. Yeah. And that's also, when you're talking about Riker being jovial, I can't help but think Jonathan Frakes is jovial. And I don't think that they necessarily originally wrote that character that way. He was kind of like Kirk. He was kind of like going to be the new Kirk. But Riker brings more than just, you know, the sparkle in his eye and that that smirk, you know, he he does bring an air of like, you kind of you kind of go, if I could just get one beer in him, I bet he's going to start making jokes. He's he's right. He's right on the cusp of like screwing around and making jokes and patting people on the back. You know, he's he's he seems like he's just just half a beer away from that. But I've never met Frakes myself, but I would assume it seems that Jonathan Frakes is like that like how I'm describing Riker. Yes. He seems fun to be around. People seem like they really love working with him as a director. And, uh, you know, sounds like he's very similar to Riker. He is. And, and that's, that's the thing is it's, it, he creates loyalty with his jovial spirit with the way he is. Uh, there's a lightness about it. Uh, you know, even when they were facing death in that moment, they were like, well, if we don't shoot the photon at the exact millisecond, you know, you guys will die. And he's like, well, there's a way he says it like, you know, it's like, well, gotta, you know, it's, then we'll be dead. And Jordy <laughs> so, says, Data, that's the one thing we're all sure about. Like, he like, trust me, that's the one yeah. thing we don't need to go over. I get it. I understand what the situation yeah. is. <laughs> They're giving yeah. some, they're they're giving some good lines out there. There's there's definitely humor to be had nowadays. You know, we're starting to see a couple jokes here and there. This was kind of a lighthearted episode in a lot of ways. You know, with the game playing and with the bust him up. I was like, bust him up. What is this? 1989. Oh yeah. <laughs> uh, and, and you know what? Also, another thing that. Troy did in that scene that she had with uh, with Data was she she was explaining the kind of man that Riker is too, right? Because uh, we had a little bit of Picard explaining how Riker was by saying, you know, he she's one of the best that ever did it. He's he's the best. He kept saying how great he was, and you should see him in bed. And then, yeah, um, that's what he thought. <laughs> he didn't say, it, but he was thinking it. And then, and then Troy also says that the man that he is will be the thing that always rises to the top. The man that he is, who whatever he is, you know, um, not not that way. Uh, but no matter the options, is what she says. You know, no matter the options that are faced that he's faced with, there's a certain je ne sais quoi about his character that's always going to reveal itself. The you know, it's a little bit of charm, a little bit of confidence, um, a little bit of playfulness, uh, and then also a little bit of seriousness. Like there's that also that seriousness too. Like, yes, Captain, I'm listening and we're here. And we we heard what he said and all of that kind of he has the balance of them all. So um 
yeah, a lot, a lot of the explaining about what kind of character uh, Riker is. But I also mm. wrote down in my notes, number one's number one is Warp. Yep. So the first time he had a chance to pick a number one, it was Warp. Yep. Who was his number two, though? I guess that was... Um, yeah, yeah, I think it was... It yeah. must have been Jordy. Uh, it had to be Jordy, yeah. And I'm reminded of, when you said the character thing, I'm actually reminded of, there's a sports guy, I don't remember who it is, it might be Colin Cowherd, who says, sports don't build character, they reveal it. I've always thought that's one of the best quotes ever. It reveals character. And it's kind of like what you were saying, where the things that are happening, these missions that are happening for Riker are revealing who he truly is. They're revealing his character. And if his character is a winner or a guy that rises to the top, that's going to show in these circumstances. Even if he's not aware of it or we're not aware of it, these circumstances are going to arise and he is going to come out of it usually favorably. Uh, there was also an interesting moment when you were talking about uh, Picard talking to Data when Picard's kind of beating it out of data, he's like, you know, get your act together. He says, how I, he says, I want you to know, to figure out how I should deal with Commander Riker and the Hathaway, and I will await your answer on the bridge. <laughs> In other words, he's like, figure it out and get out, and you're going to answer my question on the bridge, not in your room all sulking. He was pouting. He was sad. Yeah, he was sad. Uh, and, you know, that's why I like um, Dr. Pulaski in this episode, because she seemed to really care about data in, that, in those ways. You know, she was like, yeah, in whatever way you want to call it, because he's like, uh, I don't have an ego. He said, well, I don't want you to be disheartened. I don't have a heart. Yeah. She's like, data. <laughs> All right. Come that's enough. <laughs> Actually, but, but, but yeah. I was just going to say, if if Pulaski continued on throughout the entire series, I could see them ending up being like best friends. You know, like it looks like they they were starting to maybe create that arc. I mean, it wouldn't have to go in that direction, but I could certainly see it going in that direction and being like a really cute and fun friendship there. I can see that as well. Um, because they're, they seem to be growing on each other. I think there's you know, Pulaski is starting to really like Data. She even says at some point, oh, I'm, I regret even asking you to do this. And she was feeling bad that she had made Data feel sad or, or inadequate or, you know, less than. And for somebody who started out this season make, trying to make him feel inadequate and less than, to now being conscious of the fact that she, that she has caused these conditions for him, I think um, shows a lot of growth in her part. You know, it shows that, you know, like all of us, we are all able to learn and grow and make changes to our behavior and our point of view and become better people if we so choose to do and put the effort into doing that. And I think Pulaski is showing that her intelligence and why she's um, a doctor because she has used her intelligence to elevate herself in, in these kinds of ways and make these kinds of 
um, decisions about what needs to be done to better have relationships, better relationships, and better chemistry with people. Um, it's a lot of growth for her character. Absolutely. Good point. Uh, also, I wanted to touch on very quickly uh, Ensign Burke, because it's always interesting to see who got the week of work that week. You know, somebody, they, they bring on some character for that week, and then suddenly that person's like in every scene, and then we never see them again. Like suddenly, you know, Ensign Burke was, he was doing security. He was picking up Wesley. He was doing this. He was doing that. He was picking up the dry cleaning. He was doing everything. And then I don't know if we ever see him again. So I want to got this guy. The actor's name is Glenn Morshower or Morshower. And he has 240 credits on IMDb still working. This guy is wow, what a busy guy. But I'm He's trying the to redhead f- that we saw. Yeah, who actually had a a good amount of lines. lines. Yeah. He was also in that Voyager. Was another ensign. Mm-hmm. He was in Voyager one episode as some ensign or officer. I'm trying to see how many episodes in the next generation he was in, though, if we ever see him again. Oh, two episodes. So this was the first. And then four seasons later, he is, <laughs> oh my goodness. He's in one of my favorite episodes, season six, episode 18, Starship Mine. I quote that episode all the time. I know exactly what character is. He plays Orton in that one. That is, when you see that one with uh, Calvin Hutchinson, call me Hutch. Hutch, I'm in love with Calvin Hutchinson. Call me Hutch. And I'm in love with the way Data emulates him, but we got to wait four seasons for that. Anyway, it is time for the home run of the episode. Who gets the home run of the episode? Hmm. Mm-hmm. The home run of the episode. I, I'm going to give this home run to... Yeah, I'm going to give it to Riker. I'm going to give it to Mr. Jonathan Frakes. Uh, he was charming in this episode. Uh, he was lovable. There's certain times when I feel like he's overbearing or just chauvinistic and sometimes too predatory when it comes to women that he desires and whatnot. But, you know, uh, in this episode, I thought he, he showed a lot of leadership skills and he also showed to me why he would make a great captain. Mm-hmm. Um, this, this was, this was my first real insight on why I feel like Riker would make a great captain. And this is, and she proved it this episode. Uh, you know, that's a good point. And I agree with you that I, I think it has to go to Riker. Everybody did a pretty good job today, but it's a wonder what we can do when we don't have a special guest star that's a female, <laughs> because then his, then he's like, I know my role. I'm just going to go <laughs> wash some ladies' feet, you know, or whatever. But in this one, when there isn't one, there's just this weird guy. Then he's like, well, I guess I'll just be an officer, I guess. And and they did it very well. They wrote it well. He acted it well. Very good. Yeah. Riker all the way. Home run. Yeah. Speaking of home runs. Somebody by the name of Homer heads this group of people that we want to thank. Their names are 
Homer Frizzell, Dr. Anne-Marie Siegel, Eve England out in Wales, Yvette Blackman, Tom, TJ Jackson Bay out in Missouri. Tough break. His uh, his Memphis Grizzlies are not starting off too well. Bill Victor Arukin, Titus Muller. There it is. Titus Muller, Darlena, sorry, Darlena Marie, Tierney C. Diekman, Anna Post, Anil O. Palat, Joe Balserati, Justine Norton Kurtzen, Mike Gu, DQ, Dr. Stephanie Baker, Carrie Schwent, Faith Howell, Edward Foltz, my live from Tokyo, the Matt Boardman, Chris McGee, Justin Weir, Jake Barrett, Jane Jorgensen, Henry Unger, Allison Leachhide, Julie Manisfee, Marsha Classic Schreier, Greg K. Wickstrom, Jed Thompson, Jed Thompson, and of course, Dr. Susan V. Gruner and Jason Oaken. I think I butchered that list worse than ever ever any other time ever <laughs> but it's the thought that counts <laughs> not I, your peak performance <laughs> no it's not as soon as i start talking about grizzlies basketball i just lost myself completely and i was going back anyway all right but we appreciate all of them nonetheless everybody stick around we will be right back with much more oh shoot i forgot that i said i was going to talk about the stratagema and how it works and all that I totally made that up. It's not true at all. I don't know anything about it. Uh, <laughs> thanks people, for, the, thanks for the cliffhanger. I totally lied. I'm such a what liar. <laughs> but stick around, uh, everybody. We've got the free-for-all up next, and then we'll definitely explain what the what yeah, that game is sure. about. We'll be right back on the seventh rule. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the seventh rule. This is the free-for-all. Let's get into it. We've got Melissa Longo here. Yeah. We are joined by Faith Howell as well, who's got the best quote ever, or at least today's best best quote. We have TJ Jackson Bay out in Missouri. We've got uh, Chris McGee with a cool family shirt. Uh, Jason Oaken with a radical poster behind him. Allison Leach High looks like some L cars on her shirt. We've got Greg Kenzo. Looks like he's wearing a pretty cool Melissa outfit, right? Well, maybe not <laughs> outfit, but the shirt for sure. Uh, Mai is live in Tokyo with some trophies behind her. We've got Jed Thompson also with a Melissa shirt, theintrovertedrepublic.com, that is. And Carrie Schwent is hanging out. I think she's going to have some poetry probably this week. Uh, let's get into it. Also, later on, we're going to talk about some outfits. That's a good segue. But first things first, Jake Sisko guesses the IMDb score. Um, uh, I'm gonna go with like a seven one. Does anybody else have any guesses that doesn't already know? I'm six gonna say <laughs> I'm gonna say seven point six. Yeah, maybe I'll go higher like seven. Lisa, 10 with wiggly fingers. Yes. <laughs> 10 with wiggly fingers. <laughs> Very good. Uh, the answer is George Mirasan, 7.7. 7. Oh. 7. Oh. George Mirasan, I think he was. 7.7. 7. Everybody was around it. Good guesses. 
Um, did we have any non-appearance mentions? I didn't hear any. Well, the, unless you count the Borg. Yeah, the Borg. Did that count? Nah. Um, has to be a specific person. Lastly, the something I'm not good at checking person. for yet. What about some kind of or some sort of? Did they say anything like that? Some kind of war game. Some kind of... I didn't catch one. I wasn't watching for it. We got to keep our ears open. Melissa Longo is here. Save us. What did you think of this episode? <laughs> it was a 1.1. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> I'm just kidding. Quite the opposite. Um, I actually really liked this episode quite a bit. Um, from the get-go, when um, Cole Rami enters the bridge and watching the way he walks and just... The actor that portrayed that guy was phenomenal. I, I think he did a phenomenal job because he committed to being annoying and skeevy and <laughs> frustrating to no end, and, and it worked. And, it, and I, yeah, and his choices, his acting choices aren't usual acting choices, and, and it worked. And so I, I really enjoyed watching him and the makeup was his makeup was pretty incredible too um so that was good um i really like episodes that focus on how the enterprise crew works together to solve a problem um because it really reveals relationship and character and and how each character interacts with one another and learns from one another so i i like that about this episode um i liked i like seeing that Worf thinks very highly of Riker and we've seen this before but but i think he's got a little bit of a crush on Riker in some sense. <laughs> um, I like that Pulaski has gone from being pre prejudicial towards Data to being one of his biggest cheerleaders. That's that's fun to see. Um, and I also like uh, seeing Data seek counsel from Troy. <laughs> that's fun. I, I'm, that's cute to me. Um, there were a few lines that stood out to me. Um, in this episode and the one behind faith is the one that i wrote down in my notes um it's possible to commit possible to commit no mistakes and still lose that is not a weakness that is life and, and that's so true um and i like uh Worf's line where he said very unfortunate we will be dead <laughs> <laughs> So funny. And then Data's line at the end, I busted him up. <laughs> <laughs> so cute. <laughs> um, I do have some uh, questions. Um, one is, is there a such thing as space dust? Um, two, because the Hathaway looked pretty dusty um, and the sets were awesome. Uh, two, why doesn't Deanna wear pips? And three, um, does Pulaski outrank Data? 
I feel like her pips show that she outranks Data. So why doesn't she get put in command of the bridge instead of Data? Um, so those were my questions. But overall, I really like this episode. <laughs> I didn't check, but I think she's a commander. I always remember her being yes. commander level, just like Crusher, I think, was. I think that she wouldn't be put as first officer because she's chief medical, so she's not really a bridge officer. She could be. He could make right. an exception if he needs her, for sure. And okay. uh, as we know, Deanna Troy definitely uh, earns her stripes later on as well. Yeah, but Spoilers. she never wears pips on her outfit, which yeah, I don't point. know why. My my head Kim is that she got a dispensation, and perhaps it's something that's a bit of a... Um, Almost like a ceremonial sash that work wears. So that's my head cannon. Gotcha. She should have pimps though. Jellico mm. <laughs> <She> <laughs> will tell her. Uh, <laughs> what about you, Faith Howell? How are you? What'd you think of this one? I absolutely loved it. Um, I've always had positive associations with this episode. Uh, but I think um having gone through some stuff in life as you guys have heard and i will i will spare the listeners if you want to know go back to ds9 it's great if you missed it um but i this quote behind me um as as things have happened um really kind of just took my breath away on rewatch and it's so true like you can do everything you can plan ahead and make all the best choices with all the information you have at the time and bad stuff can still happen and that's just life. And so to me, this is the most poignant line Picard maybe ever says, I would argue. Um, and so I really appreciate this episode specifically for that. And I, as soon as I saw that this was the episode this week, I was so excited um, just for that scene. Um, I also really love things like um, the way Picard and Riker get so excited to play this game together. Um, just that both of them grinning as they're going off on their separate ships was just joyful. I loved loved seeing that. Um, and I thought I was going to have a nitpick at the end when um, they did the rematch. And I was like, oh, I kind of forgotten. You know, you know I thought Data's going to going to beat him. And I really appreciated that he didn't win because I feel like that would have gutted this whole scene if he had gone back and won at the end so i really liked that it was a stalemate in the end mm -hmm. very smart uh mm -hmm. stalemate there and it was what turned into a stalemate between the two ships because right. the ferengi came uh yeah, so that's very really good writing mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. agreed tj jackson bay is out in missouri he's a great writer too he writes some really good posts on social media what do you think of this episode well, this is, a, of course, a, a fun one always to revisit. And there's so much stuff that I could talk about, but I'm going to pick uh, maybe two and save the rest for later. Uh, the first one, the first thing I really appreciated is is uh, when Picard got frustrated with Kalrani and called him into the ready room and like, you know, it just really started backing up Riker. Like, look, I don't know why you think so poorly about Commander Riker, but let me tell you, you got it wrong, buddy. <laughs> you know, um, because, you know, since he came on the ship, you know, he <laughs> and, and I really just think this was his kind of tactic to just kind of egg them on. 
uh, because he's so snooty and so arrogant and, and he knows that he's right. And, and, you know, so he's just like, I think he's just really kind of sticking it to him, but, but, you know, in addition to backing up Riker, he's also, you know, making sure that, uh, like he's saying this stuff in front of the crew that Riker commands and, and that just ain't right. So he fixes that. And I appreciate that he fixes that. Um, and the the other thing that I really appreciate from this episode uh, is just watching Data's uh, journey uh, progress. You know, we we all know that that he wants to be human. He doesn't, you know, kind of understand these emotions. He doesn't understand why they want him to play this game. Um, and then, like when he loses the first time, it's almost like he got depressed. Uh, and I appreciate, you know, uh, Pulaski's kind of analysis on it, that it doesn't matter whether it's emotions or algorithms, like it's still affecting him. And, and that much is evident. Um, and and so, you know, basically they all, you know, take turns trying to cheer Data up. Um, and, and he comes back and, and even at the end, in, in the scene behind Carrie, uh, you know, he, he's almost kind of smiling because everyone around him is cheering. And, and he, you know, he just said, I busted him up. Like he actually kind of just had to surrender to that because before that he's, he's, you know, telling him, look, I didn't win. Like, I don't know why you guys are cheering. This doesn't make sense to me. And he's like, all right, fine. I give up. I busted them up. Uh, and and he's smiling, but but I think you know the same thing is true that that he's really still just kind of running algorithms in his in his positronic brain to try to figure out well, this doesn't make any sense to me, and and you know how many times you know is that true in our lives that we see people that that will put on a smiling face you know just to be social, you know but inside something different's going on, and so uh, you know that just kind of made me, you know, think that thought and, you know, it's always good to be kind and, and you never know what someone's going through, even if they're smiling. I had a couple of uh, favorite quotes from this episode. Of course, you know, there's the classic, but, you know, I also appreciated uh, when Captain Picard um, said after Carl Rami said, I order you to withdraw and I represent the Federation. And Picard's like, I'm the captain of this vessel and your order is nullified. <laughs> it's like, you are not, you know, pulling that, <laughs> you know, here I'm not leaving my people behind. Again, he backs up his people. And uh, the other one is, is at the very beginning of the episode where, you know, Commander Riker just kind of glibly, you know, asked Picard, do you want to surrender now? <laughs> just go ahead and surrender. Give up. I got you. Excellent stuff. Thank you very much, TJ Jackson Bay on the bridge of the Enterprise. <laughs> D. Uh, the Dark Lord, Chris McGee, is here. What's up, Dark Lord? What'd you think of this one? Oh, this uh I like, like everyone else has said, it's one of my favorites, I think. Um, I will mention some things that haven't been brought up yet, maybe in the previous segments, I don't know, but um, for example, in, in one of the earlier scenes, Worf is building a model ship. Kind of seems like maybe Troy is giving him some anger management exercises. I don't know uh, <laughs> what's going on there. It's great seeing uh, co-stars get some spotlight in this episode, such as Leslie Neal, who played Ensign Nagel, and Glenn Morshower, who played Ensign Burke. And I remember Glenn, Glenn in, uh, well, Besides other Star Trek uh, shows and episodes, he's also been in 
movies such as Under Siege and some of my favorite TV shows like Quantum Leap and Babylon 5. And the one I remember him most from is as Special Agent Aaron Pierce in 24. Um, I love the little conversation in the ready room between Korami and Picard and how Korami thinks that Riker isn't fit to be a captain. Yet Riker's already been offered his own command more than once by this point. Um, And it does bring up how different people can have different styles of command, which in no way affects their effectiveness at command, provided, of course, that, you know, their crew can adapt to their CO's command style, something that we will be exploring in a later episode. Um, And I, like everyone else, I do very much love the uh, B plot of Data, thinking that he's defective in some way because he lost to Kul Rami. And of course, it leads to probably my favorite line, not not in this season or in the show, but probably across all of Star Trek, which I think a lot of people feel similarly anyway, which is uh, Faith's background there. So I'm not going to choose that one as my memorable quote of the episode. That's too easy. I'll pick a less, lesser known one that still has st- stuck with my brain after all these years, which is, what's the Zach Dornian word for mismatch? challenge that was a good one i liked it i didn't remember it uh thank you very much chris mcgee jason the outrageous oaken is here he's going to teach us stuff we don't know i bet what do you think of this episode oh it's an absolutely i i I think if i had to describe this in any shape or form with a single word it's probably fun it looks like everybody's having fun in terms of you know the actors and it looks like certainly the director is having a little bit more fun uh, compared to last week's direction, we do see uh, some differences. I think, you know, Robert Shearer does move the camera a little bit more. There's some subtle things you see. Anything from an empty first officer chair when Data doesn't come to the bridge. The scene actually starts with an empty chair. So little touches like that. And, you know, to some degree, I think this episode is a little bit different uh, from all the others, probably in the first two seasons, because there's a lot of character a lot of character moments, I think, for almost everybody here. Uh, I think, frankly, uh, and I'll save most of it for later, I think, in my mind, maybe the weakest part of this episode is the plot, but that's not the point. We do get uh, to see all the characters shine and show their personality in one way or another, which is a great thing and is a little bit unusual. As I said, for the first couple of seasons, it's, uh, it shows a little bit more uh, starting in season three when Michael Pillar comes on the show. So we do get something here as well for everybody. Uh, and Worf does play with toys. And forgive me, yes. it's a scale model. <laughs> and uh, fortunately, they did not use that model for a for the Barge of the Dead in Voyager. Uh, he's actually supposed to be building a Klingon sailing ship of some sort. It's supposed to be a Klingon ship. So... Uh, we, and I, and I think certainly the performances uh, of all the regulars and, uh, you know, Ry Brocksmith, you know, nailed Kalrami uh, to a T. The way he was described in the script was he was supposed to be actually kind of a thin weasel. Uh, I guess he didn't get sort of the physicality of it, but he certainly uh, acted like a weasel and, and, you know, performed greatly. I mean, if you look at his, you know, at his body of work. As an actor, you do see quite a bit of range. I mean, he does come back on Deep Space and plays a completely different character. 
uh, if, even if not for makeup, he's a harder person to recognize. Simply, because what does he play on the? What does he play on Deep Space Nine? I didn't check. He that. was he was a Bajoran. Um, okay. On Deep Space, in, in one of the later seasons, he was. Uh, uh, I think it's the Darkness and the Light. I think something like I, I forget the name of the episode, but it's uh, for the guy that gives you know. coordinates to Kira. So I mean, just 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 you know, great throughout. Again, you, you do see sort of you know people kind of relaxing and enjoying themselves, and you know, I, I, it's just a little sad for me that this was not the final episode of season two, because of what we're about to face a week from now. And as I said, I'll save the rest for later. Wow, good stuff. Thanks very much, Jason. Uh, Allison Leach Hyde <laughs> is here. What's up, Allison? Did you also love this episode? Yes, I do love this episode. I've loved this episode since it came out as a kid. It was fun and everyone was having a good time. And I, as an adult, I really like that we actually get to see Riker's personality shine without a woman there. <laughs> it's just Riker having a good time being in command having fun with his his crew and doing a great job at what he does as his form of command. And so that's, I really enjoy that. And always, whenever we get to see Jordy and Wesley tackling an engineering problem, they're great. They work so well together, both as characters and as the actual actors, Will and and LeVar do such a lovely job together. So it's always fun to see them. And the twinkles in their eyes as they're all going, we're kind of breaking the rules, but this is going to be fun. So that's what I love. My favorite line, of course, is the one behind Faith. But I'm going to come back to my one of my seconds, and that is from Riker. Just remember, Enterprise, Captain Riker has never lost. And it's true, because the last time Captain Riker came up against the Enterprise the Enterprise surrendered to him. So he is batting a thousand right now from Matter of Honor. So coming in with that that fun joy and confidence is, is great and super entertaining. And it's fun to watch. It's great paced. So always like it. Love, love seeing the actors have fun when we know what's coming up next. So... <laughs> mm -hmm. That's where I'm at on this one. <laughs> Excellent knowledge. I When they said uh, Captain Riker's never lost, I thought he meant because he's never been captain before. But you're right. He was the captain of the Klingon right. ship for a minute there. Good stuff. Thanks very much, Allison. Greg Kenzo, what's up? What do you think of this episode? Like everybody else, I, I can say that I loved it too. I did just watch this one probably like three weeks ago. So this time it didn't hit me as deeply, but... I have to say there are great parts of it. Like, I love the way that Riker sticks up for, I mean, uh, Picard sticks up for Riker when, um, what's his name, Carl Rami is kind of breaking him down, you know, but he does that. And then it's kind of like vice versa. They they have deep respect for each other and you can tell that in every sense of their relationship. Um, Data's journey and this is great. I I do believe he beat Karami at the end, but that's just my opinion. Uh, even though it's a stalemate, like, I mean, come on, you got to give it to him. And yeah, they they solidify that when 
says I busted him up. Other than that, I mean, everybody pretty much said all the, the beautiful parts of this episode. So I'll go with the philosophy that I like to take away from these episodes. I mean, the quote behind faith is the one that like I could go with like, and that would be great. But that one's like a given. So I'll try to look. I tried to look a little bit deeper than that because that that's amazing, you know, and that will stand the test of time. And so what I was looking at is that theories are much different when you have to put them into practice. Cal Rami's reports on Riker uh, were all wrong. He says that, oh, Riker does this. Uh, you know, he's jovial. He doesn't take situations uh, seriously. And, you know, that's his style. And I love Picard's response to that. He says, do not mistake style for intent. Because really, he gets the job done. And I think that's the writer's commenting on Jonathan Frakes as a director. I don't know if he's directed by this point, but maybe it's just his style on uh, on set. You know, I've heard stories or I've seen interviews where they say that Riker, or not Riker, um, Jonathan Frakes is really jovial on set and he just has a good time. And they kind of just, I feel like they pulled that into the writing of this, maybe. Mm. But, um, other than that, let's see. Uh, everybody else pretty much said what I was going to say. So thank you. You make that shirt look good, Greg. Thank you very much Thanks. for that. Good stuff. <laughs> Mai is live in Tokyo with looks like NBA, NFL, and hockey trophies. NHL, that is. What do you got for us yeah. today, Mai? Uh Baseball, football, basketball, uh, hockey. Yeah, absolutely. I'll come to that in a second. Um, again, like everybody says, one of my favorite episodes. It actually it influenced me a lot when I was when I was presented with a computer-based challenge in my, in a negotiation class I was doing when I was doing my MBA. Um, in fact, the, the University of Chicago has a motto of more data, more data. And that always tickled my funny bone as a Star Trek geek. So um, now you got to recall that I grew up at a time when technology was just beginning to play a role. It computer punch cards, phones on the modem, uh, asteroids, and then Atari computers where we played winter games, uh, the heady leaps to 14.4 and then 28.8 baud rates for transmitting data, uh, a command line interface-based internet, Mosaic in 93, becoming Netscape and Firefox, so many examples. I, it, was, it was just a different, it was a, a technology played a different role. So I saw computers really as an eminently malleable item rather than a tool with finite and spe uh, specified functionality. Um, so when I was asked to participate in a computer simulation that required me in competition with a computer program to bid, counterbid, to seek to accumulate as much of a given product as I could buy in the market, <clears throat> I knew that the um, computer program was bound to follow certain reactions based on my presumed balance of funds per the game rules. Um, the idea of the program was designed to teach us caution and modesty due to not knowing how our opponent would play the game. I thought that was somewhat unfair, but I also realized that it was a handicap for the opponent. Um, with my perception of the role of computers, I simply went in and accessed the part of the program that allowed me to reset the parameters, allowing me unlimited funds. Needless to say, the results were twofold. One, very skewed numbers in my favor, 
and to a professor who was somewhat annoyed, but also unable to deny the value and the lesson learned by everyone that day. Um, and this actually came directly from this episode. It also became the credo by which I've conducted myself in sales negotiations for the past 30 years. Um, and it's very much akin to what Sun Tzu said, which is know your enemy and know yourself. And in a hundred battles, you'll never be in peril. Um, my version is learn the rules of the game better than your opponent. And it will be that much easier to circumvent them. And in business, much like in the championships represented by these three trophies, winning is everything. Who came in second? Nobody cares. So the halls of my education included not only the traditional ones, but also those of the enterprise. Great stuff. Thank you very much. My live in Tokyo, Jed Thompson's here. He's smiling. He's got something fun I, to tell us. What, oh, what do you I, think I, of this sure. One? Sure, so I, I, you know, faith, faith beat me to it there in the chat. But uh, my, I got to ask, did you use Kobe Kobayashi Maru? Yeah, yeah. It, I, that that makes me so happy right now. I could be done with my statement, and and, and I'd be I'd be done. That's awesome. Um, in real life, uh, it's fantastic. So I love the episode. I forgot what this episode was all about until uh, we put it on um, just about an hour, two hours ago, and uh, and I just. It was just so abundant. And we've all had, you know, we've been hearing everybody here. And um, I'm going to save a, a bunch of stuff for things left unsaid. But I'm going to, what I took from this episode was that it was instrumental in a grander scheme of furthering along and underscoring the Borg threat, the genius that is Wesley Crusher, uh, Data's quest to understand and become more human and to also portray the Ferengi, a shout out to Armin Shimmerin, uh, as a less militant species with a deeper culture than we had originally been presented. And if you had been watching these live, I don't think, well, we it's obvious, you know, you would not have guessed any of that, you know, to come obviously, otherwise you would be playing the lottery. But in retrospect, this episode had a lot uh, of things that touched for a long, long time through multiple aspects of Star Trek. Um, and I think that ultimately the most important one was, um, you know, the storyline, I should say, was Data's quest, you know, to become more human uh, after seeing, uh, you know, new tracks and that sort of stuff so which is why i can choose this background here with these two ladies here who had you know as, as was mentioned before and likely mentioned in earlier segments of of this episode um you know really uh had some great conversations with data about um him himself and and his journey so i'm gonna leave that right there and uh talk about some more more fun and nitpicks and detail stuff Thanks Thank you very much, Jed. I like that you and Greg are both showing the celebration scene uh, behind you. We've got uh, Carrie Schwent, a.k.a. Crafty Bear. What's up, Carrie? What do you think of this one? So much fun beginning to end. And who is not a Crafty Bear is Worf. Keep all crafts <laughs> far away from him because he's going to break them all. Watching him snap that pole, just, oh, that gutted me. 
I'm like, no. And then he sweeps it all into the drawer. <laughs> I'm done. <laughs> up a blanket project, Worf. No, 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 no. But anyway, I will add to the minor and my, on my on my on my side, fangirl sort of girling over Mr. Burke, Mr. Mr. Glenn, who was so fantastic on 24. I wrote 49 episodes across seven seasons. He was fantastic in that. But what one other role he was also in was in Transformers Dark of the Moon as one of the military guys. Hmm. And that movie features Mr. Spock him, himself vo vo voicing Sentinel Prime. And they even include in the movie a tiny snippet of one of the original series episodes at the beginning that one of the little little rope little Decepticon dudes just sort of casually comments comments on. And of course, it's always nice to see our 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 friend Armin on his next step up to, up to Quark. He got like the more cartoony Ferengi. This one's he's a little in, intense and intense but in a more serious and slightly menacing way. And then we get the course, the, the court, the court, we all, we all know, know and love. I, the walk and talk with um, Jordy and Riker as they're heading to R Riker's match with Cole Rami, the speed of that dialogue must've been the inspiration for Amy Sherman Palladino. Cause that was Gilmore girls level speed with the dialogue. <laughs> And they were walking so fast. I don't know how the camera guy didn't like fall over and trip backwards. And um, Pulaski and Data, they came, I mean, I was one of the very vocal cr critical of her beginning, beginning of the episode. The two of them came so far. Her turning around as Kolarami's talking to Data about, hey, I heard you want to you you know, play strategy with me okay why would you want to do that why would i do that and when she turns around and mouths please that actually warmed touched me touched me a little bit because she was at you know advocating advocating for for him like hey i know i got you into this come on you can i know you can do it but then she's then she helps tries to do her part to help data back out of the sort of crisis of confidence that she and mostly contributed contributed to but Picard he gives the be the best pep talks good good advice mixed with a little bit of tough love he's like you know how to formulate a premise right like yeah okay come up with this premise come tell me on the bridge once you once you figured it out bye but his little speech there that like faith, faith has behind her it inspired my my own poetical pep talk. I think I just made up a word poetical. In any case, here we are. When losing, it's easy to second guess, even when you know you've done your best. You've done everything right, but still lost the fight. Self-doubt can be beat when put to the test. So there we have it. And also to finish up i've got a couple things for things left on set but um the sweater behind data i have questions <laughs> so many questions yes carrie yes <laughs> I, pause, I, pause, I, I pause a lot when i take notes and i pause it on this and looked up i'm like wait a minute what the, what is that sweater 
and there's like <laughs> I pop in at a couple different spots. There's different like astrological sign names on it, and it looks sort of old school nautical. Mm-hmm. But it says yeah. Africa on there. Wait a minute. That's Africa. Africa. Yeah. I said the African. Yeah. Right there, Africa. So many questions, and also I just love the the look on on Data's face is just so adorable. But yeah, got we, a couple of We've seen things, that look before. We'll those. Hmm? We've seen that look before. <laughs> Great <laughs> stuff. Thank you very much, <laughs> Carrie. It does look nautical to me, too. Uh, Jake's final take. Any uh, final thoughts on this one, Ciroc? Um, Yeah, you know what? My final thought is basically uh, words of encouragement. That's what I wrote down. A lot of words of encouragement in this episode, um, supporting each other and kind of looking out for each other, talking good about people that you work with. I think Picard was, you know, always backing up Riker in this episode, talking about how great he was and he's the best. Um, Riker was doing that for Worf when he was saying, I need you to be at my number one because, you know, you can handle this. And this, is, this is right up your alley. He also did it for Jordy when he was telling him, I need you to do this because the shift in disarray and I know you can do it and you can fix it. You can get it fixed. He did it for Wesley by, you know, hyping Wesley up and letting him know that, I, you know, giving him the confidence that he could do it. Um, and then Troy was doing it for Data. Everybody was giving words of encouragement. I thought Pulaski was doing that as well for Data. Um, and so that's one of the things that I loved about this episode because you get to see everybody kind of sticking up for each other and saying, no, no, that guy's, you know, that's my guy and he's capable, a lot of communication, a lot of understanding there between each other. Um, I like Wesley's face when he's like, when he gets an idea and you start to see his wheel spinning, he really, uh, projects that well as an actor. It's something that you can literally, you can see the wheel spinning in his head. And he he does a very good job of uh, relaying that he's, you know, thinking of things. So I like that about his performance as well. I, I mentioned this earlier in the review, but uh, I, I don't know how all of these people in Starfleet are able to remember so many different maneuvers. Is there like a guide, a maneuver <laughs> book that they put together the Kirk maneuver, the Pike maneuver, the this maneuver. How many <laughs> maneuvers can there possibly be? And how could you remember all of these man- maneuvers? It'd be, you know, the Talupian, uh, the Kuma. And there were so many of them that I just couldn't, I, I'm like, it starts to lose me. Um, also, this guy, he gave me some Kai Win vibes, the Serna Kolrami Kol- gave me some like this Kai Wynn vibe, like, you know, like, get him out of here. <laughs> uh, wow. the, yeah, the overconfidence kind of the, it was just, yeah. you know, it was like too much. Um, yeah. And then lastly, I'll say um, Captain Picard, he says, oh gosh, I have to handhold an android. And how many years later, now everyone is handholding androids. <laughs> Hey, right? very yeah. good. Whoa. I was like, where is he going with this? <laughs> That's excellent. <laughs> uh, yeah. All right, everybody. Yeah. 
we finally learned something. It took us an hour and a half, but Sirach taught us a lesson and we are better for it. Um, <laughs> thank you all very much for joining us. Melissa Longo, Faith Howell, TJ, Jackson Bay out in Missouri. Sorry about the Grizzlies comment. Um, Chris no, McGee, no, <laughs> Jason <not>. Oaken, <laughs> Allison Leach Hyde. Greg Kenzo, we got my live in Tokyo, Jed Thompson, who gets to spend his weekends with Denise Crosby, and yeah. Carrie yeah. Schwent uh, for myself. So, ooh, wait, hang on. Yes. Oh, this oh, we got nice. a Rock's doodle. Everybody listening in, you're missing out on a great doodle by Sirock. My doodle. <laughs> awesome. <laughs> for myself, Sirock, Melissa Longo, Aaron Eisenberg, and Sirock's doodle, thank you all for joining us. Thank you for listening and watching and keeping your ears open. And always remember the seventh rule.